Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello and welcome to the Animal Files. We are going to continue our series. If you remember, we got a little controversial. We talked about animal rights last week. Now we're going to talk about animal welfare and help you find that balance that we talked about last week. So let's start with the differences between animal rights and animal welfare. And there are many, many organizations on this planet that are doing their best to help the animals in the way that they think is the correct way to do so. We're only going to pick out a couple, two of the main ones, and explain what they believe between animal rights and animal welfare. So I will let Miranda take over and we will get this going. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to bring the difference between those two phrases because I think a lot of people confuse animal rights to be with animal welfare as being the same thing. And they're not. No, they're related. They're very similar, but yeah. Yeah, they overlap in many ways, but Mm -hmm. they are very different. Mm Mm-hmm. So the first organization that we want to share what their definitions are is PETA. The way they define animal rights is that it means animals are not ours to use for food, clothing, entertainment, or experimentation. And then they define animal welfare is all of these uses are allowed as long as they are done humanely and follow humane guidelines. The humaneleague.org the way they define animal rights is that it's a philosophy that is based on the idea that animals should not be used by people for any reason, and that animal rights should protect their interests the way human rights protect people. So very similar. Yeah. And I'm on board with all of that for the most part. I mean, it it sounds perfect to me. I know people take it and go crazy with it, but what's their definition of animal welfare? They define it as a set of practices designed to govern the treatment of animals who are being dominated by humans, whether for food, research, or entertainment. They use that word dominated? They do. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, it's not like a lie. I mean, it's kind of the truth, but I mean, it's kind of a I don't know. It's it's like a passive aggressive word. My opinion, not saying anybody's bad or good. I'm just saying my opinion that that word is very passive aggressive in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, and I don't know what their intention behind that word is. Maybe they sort of mean being used in selfish ways, perhaps, or something. I'm not sure. I don't know. It is a very interesting word choice. Yeah. <laughs> I think what we can pull from that is basically the ethical treatment of animals. So they're not that different from PETA in that aspect. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that term dominated, that scares me a little bit. Anyway, (laughs) that's neither here nor there. I digress. So what actually (laughs) is animal welfare? Well, let's go back for a second. Okay. So I just want to sort of summarize a little bit the difference. So animal rights is kind of more an idea around how animals should be treated and the kind of respect that they deserve and that type of thing. 
whereas animal welfare is more a practice. Okay. So that there's something that is being put in place and saying, this is what needs to be done in order for the animal to have the best welfare. Okay. I concur with that. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought I would summarize it just in case anybody felt a little bit confused still. And hopefully that. Yeah. I think we're probably going to have to review that a couple of times just so people know and understand that yes, they overlap, like we said, but they are different. Mm -hmm. They are different. So we already gave the definition of these two organizations of what animal welfare is, but now we're going to go into a little bit more detail. And what it is, is it's concerned with how an animal is treated and their overall well-being, but it is not focused on changing the legal status of an animal or how they may be used. Okay. So basically they're working within the boundaries of what we are currently doing at this moment. Yeah, essentially. Okay. Yeah. I would guess that in time, the way animal welfare will progress will be in conjunction with how animals are viewed and any changes that happen within the legal system are related to that. Yeah. As we mentioned last week, I think there is a shift. And we're moving towards there where I think the animal rights and the animal welfare is going to start to overlap a lot more. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we can all come together and find the balance. Right. Yes. I mean, I think there's always going to be people who are going to be on either end of the spectrum, as you mentioned last time. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's the case with everything that's out there. There's always going to be people who are on the opposite ends of each other. So what we need is the majority of people to be able to come together and create that balance. Yes. And the quote, my favorite quote is going through my head. You (laughs) just have to do what you can with what you have from where you are. Mm -hmm. So wherever you sit on that spectrum, just do the best you can in that arena. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be one extreme or the other. You can find what works for you And just make sure that you bring the animal into the conversation. We mentioned that last week. Just bring the animal into the conversation. Take your ego out of it and try to find out what's best for the human and the animal. Mm -hmm. So before I go off on a tangent, let's just continue with this (laughs) definition of animal welfare because I, you guys know me. Um, So when we're talking about animal welfare and their overall well-being, we're referring to focusing on their not just their physical well-being, but also their mental and their emotional well-being. Yes. There's been a lot of study, a lot of changes, a lot of shifts in our views in regards to these. A lot more understanding. Mm-hmm. It also focuses on that these animals can be used for human benefit as long as they are cared for properly and not deprived of any of their needs. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's okay if you've made the choice that you want to eat meat, just find your meat from sustainable sources where the animals are being treated properly mm-hmm. with care, not as money-making machines like we talked about last week because that's where the problem is the problem is when we look at these beautiful creatures as nothing but tools that's where the problem lies Mm -hmm. so why is animal welfare important anyways well there are so many animals around the world that are suffering 
because they're being used for entertainment, food, medicine, fashion, scientific advancement, and being purchased as exotic or fancy pets. And yes, we did say food, but it's in the extent that we're doing it for selfish reasons. We're doing it for the purpose of profit. We're doing it at the expense of the animal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no reason that animals need to be used for fashion, for example. No. There's no reason animals need to be used for entertainment. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some animals who might enjoy being doing entertainment. Some, being, <laughs> yeah, being in entertainment as long as they're doing it, you know, they're getting pleasure from it. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're not doing being it forced. willingly. Yeah. And medicine and scientific advancement is that's a gray area. It's kind of like difficult. It's murky. Yeah. For the most part, most of it needs to go away. Yes. But there may be things that there's no other way, like to save an animal's life. They're going to have to do some type of, I mean, just like with those humans. I mean, we just came off of a massive human trial with these vaccines. Mm. There's got to be something, you know, we can't eliminate a hundred percent because then we'll put all of us at a disservice, the animals as well as the human. Mm. So it gets murky. It's, I mean, we, we talked about it last week. It could be a massive rabbit hole. We're not going to mm -hmm. go there. We're no. not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> and then the exotic and the wild pets. Absolutely. No, that no, there's no need for that. Cause that's all about selfishness that has no benefit for the animal whatsoever. The only, well, okay. The only exception that I might say, and it's, and it's not really supposed to be as a pet is when there's an animal who had something happen to them in the wild and they needed some kind of protection in order for them to survive. Mm -hmm. And then maybe if it's possible, the best thing is to be able to rehabilitate them and put them back in the wild without having a lot of human interaction. Mm -hmm. That is the ideal. But obviously, in some cases, they can't be rehabilitated to the point where they can be released back in the wild and live their normal life. So then if we are choosing to keep them in a more human environment, then the animal welfare needs to be looked at as what is going to be best for the animal in that situation. Yeah, it's not, I'm rich, I want an alligator as a pet. Right. I, I mean, it's stupid. No offense, guys. But yeah, that's my that's my true opinion. It's stupid. <laughs> you don't have wild animals as pets. There's a difference between a pet and saving its life or conserving the species or mm -hmm. that type of thing. I am even starting to get on the bandwagon that these hybrid cats mm -hmm. need to go away. Mm -hmm. These hybrid dogs need to go away. There's no reason to mate a wolf with a domesticated dog. There is no reason to mate an African serval with a domestic house cat or any of these other wild cats with a domestic cat because they're pretty. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. Leave them alone. Let them live their lives. Not only does it put us at danger, but if you look at the first generations of Bengals and Savannas and the other hybrid breeds that are out there, they're not exactly pets. Mm. They're still very wild. Mm -hmm. It takes like 
four, five, six generations for them to actually have more domesticated cat genes. And that is wrong because now you're breeding for profit and for the benefit of the human, not for the animal. And mm-hmm. that's not wrong. Let the serval stay in the African savanna. You mean that's not right? <laughs> yeah, that's not right. It's just not right. It's not right. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other fact is, is that as humans, we have very, very little knowledge on what wild animals actually need Mm -hmm. for their survival. We don't really understand their nutritional needs. We don't really understand their enrichment needs. We don't really understand their emotional needs and mental needs. You know, it's all a guess. Yeah, they can maybe develop some sort of attachment to us, but what the attachment is in reality, I don't know. Maybe it's just more of a reliance on us rather than the connection that a domesticated dog, cat, rabbit, or whatever might develop with us. Yeah. I mean, are they capable of love? Of course they are. But that doesn't change the fact that if they're having a bad day, they can bite your face off. Oh, yeah. We have to stop this. You know, these people that want to have poisonous snakes as pets, stop it with that crap. Sorry, I'm getting really heated. But just stop it because it's just dangerous. Let these animals be keep them in the wild where they belong. And the only time that a human should interfere with a wild animal is that animal is on the verge of extinction. Mm. That is the only time human involvement needs to come into play. All right. I will step down. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) One of the aspects of animal welfare is the idea of letting animals exhibit their natural behaviors. Mm -hmm. So how do we know whether a certain behavior that they're doing is important for them or not? Well, the clearest indication that we have is whether or not the animal will show a stress response if they are prevented from displaying their natural behavior or whether they start showing an abnormal behavior, something that's abnormal for them by preventing them from performing that specific behavior. So there are studies that is being done to learn more about what is natural behaviors, but you can even do that with your own animals. As long as you, you'd have to really take the time though to understand what behaviors they are doing. And if you try to stop them from doing that behavior, how do they behave or what happens to them? How do they react? when you're doing that, that can help you determine whether or not you should allow that behavior or not. And remember, it needs to come from an unselfish perspective. Yeah. Not what you want or don't want, but what the animal needs. I think that's the key, what the animal needs. Mm -hmm. And all animals need to express their instinctual nature at some point, whether you do it through enrichment, whether you feed them a species specific diet, stop dressing up your animals and wearing them as jewelry. I mean, these aren't normal things for the animal. You got to let a cat be a cat and you got to let a dog be a dog. There's no in between. They're not human babies. Yes, we may call them our fur babies. I don't have kids. My cat is my child, but it's a cat. I'm not going to treat the cat like I treat a baby. Mm-hmm. That's just not fair to the animal. You're going to have a stress response. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that they are a completely different species from us. They're not less than humans, but they are a different species. Yeah. So there are two aspects that have developed 
under the umbrella of animal welfare. One is more generic and one has become more detailed. And this is the five domains and the five freedoms. Yeah. So get out your notebooks, guys. Start writing this stuff down because this is really important. We're just going to run through it. So if you've been a regular listener to our shows, you've heard us talk about the five freedoms and previously. So we're just going to go through them, but not go into details about them. The five freedoms originally was developed in 1965. So you can understand that in that time period, there was less understanding about what animal needs were. So what the definition of the five freedoms are going to be less involved than the five domains that we'll go into in a bit. It only includes freedoms from unpleasant things and assumes that freedom from these aspects will create and ensure high positive welfare. And the challenge with it is can be left up to interpretation by various people and groups and does not provide enough detail and clarity. So the first freedom is freedom from hunger and thirst. Then there's freedom from discomfort, freedom from pain, injury, and disease, freedom to express normal, natural behaviors, freedom from fear and distress. Yeah, those are all great things. (laughs) Yeah. But very vague. Yes. Doesn't go into detail. So it's up for interpretation. Mm -hmm. So the last one though, from freedom from fear and distress, one consideration of that aspect is whether or not certain animals should live with other animals, whether they are the same or different species, because some animals can have a preference of having a solitary domain versus social sharing and connection. Cats, for example, you can have cats that are very solitary beings. They have a much stronger preference to live in their domain or territory completely by themselves with no other cats and no other animals. But you can have other cats who are very social and get along really well with other cats or other animals. So when you're getting multiple animals in your home, you have to think not only what you want you know, you might like cats and dogs and rabbits and guinea pigs and whatever else that's out there, but how is it going to affect the animals you already have? Dogs too tend to be very social. So dogs, you can often do really well with other dogs, but with dogs, you can have alpha situations. So you might have two dogs that might want to have the alpha position and neither one might be willing to try to give it up. So then you're going to end up having a problem. So you need to look at that as well. Guinea pigs and rabbits generally are happier with another guinea pig or rabbit. Mm -hmm. You just have to keep in mind that different species and individual animals can have different companionship needs. I like the individual because they are individuals. All cats are not going to be the same. All dogs aren't going to be the same. They're all different. They're all individuals. They have their own preferences, needs, desires emotions. We have to treat them like that. Mm -hmm. So let's compare that now with the five domains. The five domains was originally introduced in 1994 and was and is used to analyze the impact of research, teaching, and testing procedures on non-human animals. The first domain is nutrition. And that means that they have access to food, when they need it. So accessing the amount of food that they need for their health, getting the right quantity, getting balanced nutrition, getting a variation in their diet, 
feeding them quality food. But you also have to look at the condition of the food as well, meaning you need to store the food properly so it's not going rancid or getting moldy or something like that or going off in some way. That also falls under the quality part of it. Then there's the environment. The environment takes into consideration what temperature is comfortable for the animal. What substrate are they on? Lying on, walking on? Because a lot of pet stores, at least in the past, I can't say for sure now, but a lot of pet stores in the past and also puppy mills will just have animals where they just got a graded bottom of the cage and that's all they have. There's no protection for their feet and also no soft place to lie down. Space is another consideration. How much room do they have to move around? And even too much space can be an issue as well as not having enough space. What quality is the air? Is there a lot of contaminants, a lot of dust? What about smell? Animals can have a really strong sense of smell. So is there a lot of perfumed or chemical kind of smells in the air? What is the noise level like? Are they constantly being exposed to a lot of noise or are they getting time where they can have a quiet space that they can be in? And predictability as well, because animals really thrive on routine and familiarity. Yeah. Then you've got the health. What is being done for their health? This involves the exercise that they're getting, whether their overall physical health is being maintained, what their body condition is like, whether they're getting proper medical care when it's needed, and just on an annual regular basis, and whether they're receiving treatments when it's required. Behavior, this involves providing varied, novel, and engaging environmental challenges. So This is the enrichment activities that you've heard us talk about, where we're not just engaging their physical part of them, but also their mental and emotional part of them. So we're engaging their sensory inputs, allowing them to explore and forage and have bonding activities, playing activities, kind of like a hunting sort of activity, plus other things. And then you've got the mental state. Are they getting any benefit from pleasure, comfort? or vitality, together with having a reduction in any other states that can have more of a negative effect on them, such as things that might create fear, frustration, hunger, pain, or boredom. So as you can see, this goes into a lot more detail than the five freedoms do. Yeah, I'm noticing this is all of the things that we've been talking about for the past year. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, us. (laughs) (laughs) So there's less room for interpretation because this is more details, but I would say there's probably even more room for more clarity. So the five domains explores the mental state of an animal in more detail and acknowledges that for every physical aspect that is affected, there may be an accompanying emotion or subjective experience that may also affect their welfare. And you can find more information about that at kb.rspca.org.au. You get that? (laughs) (laughs) kb.rspca.org.au. So as we just said, one of the strengths of the five domains is the clarity that it provides. 
that merely minimizing or resolving negative physical or mental states will not necessarily result in positive welfare, but at best may only provide a neutral state. So we want to take actions that's going to move them from a negative to a positive welfare state. And we want animals to have the opportunity to have positive experiences. Yeah, it's really all about the animal. And as we close the first half, my cat decided to join us. So we got to give her a little bit of attention. <laughs> I Give her the stimulation. <laughs> She's the animal files production assistant. (laughs) (laughs) But as you can see, this is all of the things that we have been talking about for the past year, both in this show and on our podcast. And it is really important that we take these five domains and the five freedoms and combine those two again to find the balance. See how we brought it all back. You got to find the balance. These animals are individual creatures. They have souls. They are sentient. They have consciousness and feelings. And we need to address all aspects of the animals. They need the stimulation mentally. They have to be able to appreciate their instinctual natures as well as the comforts of our human world. They have to find the balance and we are the stimulus for them to find that balance. Mm -hmm. When we come back, we are going to talk about the different welfare acts that have come into play on this planet and how they are changing the world we live in for these animals. So stick around and we'll be right back. We hope you've been enjoying our show. Our listeners are very important to us and we want to not only give animals a voice, but we want to give you a voice as well. So Miranda and I have created a community on Facebook to help us do just that. We would love for you to join us and let us know what questions and topics you'd like to know more about and what you feel is important to you and your animal. So pop on over to Facebook and search for the animal files community. You can join in the conversation so we can all give animals a voice. We are back. Thanks for joining us here on the animal files. We are talking animal welfare today. This is the second episode of a three episode series. So let's talk about the different animal welfare acts that have come to pass on this planet and what they are doing to help move us towards this balance that we've been talking about. So the idea of animal welfare has not yet developed into one cohesive idea around the world at this point. Whether it ever will, I don't know. I think we'll get closer, Mm -hmm. but we're always going to have the spectrum, right? both sides. And so it's up to us individually to find our own balance. And hopefully on mass, we can find the balance for the planet. Yeah. And maybe there'll be an organization that evolves for the world as, you know, these are the guidelines or these are the requirements that you need to follow to ensure effective, positive welfare for animals. We'll see if we get to that point. Yep. So we want to go over some of the welfare acts and regulations that currently exist around the world. This is by no means a comprehensive list. This is just some of the ones that are out there. 
The first one we're going to talk about is the Animal Welfare Act of 1966, which was updated last in 2006. It currently exists in the United Kingdom and in the United States. This is a federal animal protection law, and it's the primary law that exists. The Animal Welfare Act involves mainly animals that are kept at zoos and are used in laboratories, but as well as animals who are commercially bred and sold like those in puppy mills. There's very limited regulation on that. Well, it's not that there isn't regulation on it. It's just there's not a lot of control over it. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are ignoring it. Yeah. So what the Animal Welfare Act does essentially is it sets the standards for the humane care and treatment for certain animals that are exhibited to the public, sold for use as pets, used in research, transported commercially, mainly the food animals, and probably also the lab animals, and to some extent, probably the transportation of zoo animals between zoos. Mm -hmm. It also involves the humane care and treatment for animals that are managed by breeders and brokers, auction operators, such as, for example, cattle, as well as exotic and wild animal dealers. So if you recall, in the first half, we said that animal welfare is different from animal rights in that it works within the confines of the current laws. So even though all of these different animal businesses currently exist and are being allowed to exist at this time, it's basically trying to regulate how they operate so that the animals are treated better than they have been in the past. Yeah. So it's doing what it was intended to do, but personally, I think it needs to be updated again Mm -hmm. and add a portion that prevents people from abusing and ignoring the act, Mm. like something written in there Yeah, that penalizes people who say, screw this, I'm not going to follow it. I know there's plenty of businesses and we're using businesses very lightly because <laughs> we don't really know what to call them but right. they're all pretty much to make money um <laughs> at some level and what on this planet isn't an actual business i mean at some point money's going to exchange hands somehow whether it's going in somebody's pocket or whether it's going to help the animal it's got to happen so <laughs> <laughs> So we're using the word term business. So don't come at us for using business in regards to pets and zoos and all that. Because technically they are at a certain level. But anyway, but I think what the, the act needs to do, it needs to be updated again to make it more difficult for these organizations, especially the breeders, the brokers, the laboratories, all of these people that are more likely to injure the animal, Mm -hmm. unable to skirt around the law and find loopholes. Yeah, that was what I was thinking is that I like, I don't know the details of the act, but from what I understand of a lot of laws in existence is that there seems to be a tendency for a lot of loopholes for people to go around. And there's lack of enforcement. That too. 
And that's one of the challenges in our world. There's so many ideas that people want to enforce on others and only a certain number of people who are available to enforce those laws. And I think too that there's probably more focus on enforcing regulations around how humans should be treated compared to how animals should be treated. So if there's not going to be enough resources or enough people to fully work on all of these different laws that are in place or bylaws that are in place, then I think the focus is going to go more towards the human side of it compared to the non-human side. The next act is the Pet Animals Act of 1951, which was amended in 1983, which was still quite a while ago. And this is in the United Kingdom. It protects the welfare of animals that are sold as pets. And it requires any person keeping a pet shop to be licensed by the local council. The requirements of this license will only be satisfied if the animals are being kept in accommodation that is both suitable and clean, that they are supplied with appropriate food and drink, and that they are adequately protected from disease and fire, which again seems very generic to me. Yeah, just very vague. But it was in 1951 mm-hmm. and amended in 83. That's like 30 years what, ago. No, 40, 40, years, 40 ago? years ago. Yeah. 40 years ago. <laughs> Almost 40 years ago. <laughs> All right, UK, you guys are on the forefront of this animal welfare thing. Let's let's push harder and update these things now, today, <laughs> 2022. Because <laughs> you guys are what people are going to look for as to see where they need to go when it comes to animal welfare. So we're counting on you guys. All right, continue. (laughs) I had to get my rally in there. (laughs) Another act is the Performing Animals or Regulation Act of 1925 in the United Kingdom. Again, a pretty ancient one. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say so. You know, there's laws that still exist in North America that are like, I don't know, from the 1700s or something like that. Like they're really ancient. Some of them are kind of weird. I know, yeah. (laughs) So I guess if they get old and they're not really reinforced, they're just left to sort of sit there, I suppose. Yeah, well, let's get back to work. Start reinforcing these things and start enforcing these things. Yes. So what's the Performing Animals Regulation Act about? Well, as the name suggests, it's involving animals that perform and it's requiring trainers and exhibitors of the use of these animals to be registered with the local authority. Again, pretty limiting. Mm -hmm. The local councils have the power to enter the premises where animals are being trained and exhibited, and if cruelty and neglect is detected, then the magistrate's courts can prohibit or restrict the training or exhibition of the animals and suspend or cancel the registration granted under the Act. The problem I have with that is how often do they do an inspection? Good point. Because my guess is it's probably on a very limited basis. Yeah. Well, I think there's also other overreaching things, you know, where I think the animal welfares and their animal rights are coming together where circuses, mainly circuses, are no longer 
allowing animals to perform within the circus. Mm, right. And the circus organizations are coming on board. So there's a little bit of convergence of where we want to see that balance. Right. And so that's probably why some of these older acts may be not as well known mm -hmm. or not utilized to the best because there are other things, maybe other bylaws that supersede the act mm -hmm. that we are not privy to mm -hmm. because of that convergence, the animal rights, the animal welfare, and these organizations that used to have mm -hmm. animals performing, they're all coming together and they're creating this little mini coalition of animal welfare. Right. So that might be why. That could be. It's not the performing animals, but the impression that I have for blowing the whistle on puppy mills or kitten mills or certain industries such as that is that people actually have to go with a hidden camera to be able to show what's going on. Mm, yeah, that's scary. Yeah, because apparently, I don't know, I don't know what the legal situation with that is, but it seems to take somebody who's kind of undercover to find out what's going on. And maybe that's the case with some other animal industries as well where you can't oh i'm sure because yeah. everybody's got their own agenda yeah. and the nefarious and malicious tend to find ways to get what they want mm -hmm. and they get smart and so they're able to hide it so we have to make these acts and these bylaws and these regular laws and the movements louder so we can avoid that or we can push that out and make it just unacceptable just in the general public. And so people boycott these organizations. You don't buy animals from this particular breeder or this particular puppy mill or kitten mill. I mean, I really think that it starts with us, mm -hmm. not us as in the animal falls. Of course, we're happy to join in, but just us as individual humans, we need to do what we can to find our own balance, listen to the animal and then move forward on mass and kind of force change mm. throughout all of these governments, countries, provinces, states, and, you know, say, look, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. We're here and we're going to fight you for the animals. And we're going to give these animals a voice. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately that's what our role here is at the animal files. But I think that's what our role is as a human who loves animals. Right. But that's why I say that the education and the awareness is important because I think there's a lot of people out there who just don't realize that if they purchase an animal online or they purchase an animal sight unseen, even if it's local, they don't really know what they're getting or what they're supporting. Yeah. So, you know, that's why here at the Animal Files, we really want to help you understand what you need to look for and consider before you ever get an animal so that you are hopefully making the choice to not support these kinds of industries. Absolutely. Education, awareness, and then obviously compassion and empathy. Yes. That's what's going to change the world mm -hmm. for these animals. All right. So before we get on too many boxes here, let's continue because we get up. There's a bunch of other acts that are supposedly doing good work. The next one is the Animal Boarding Establishments Act of 1963. So another old one in the United Kingdom. <laughs> All right, UK, you're on blast. Get working on these things. Update them. <laughs> we love you. We love what you're doing, but you got to update these acts. <laughs> 
it requires such establishments to be licensed again by the local council. So very similar as to the previous act. Yeah, I think UK is really good at a local level. They really do a lot at the local level. Mm -hmm. Good on you, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. I love (laughs) you. So again, they may assess periodically the suitability of the accommodation and whether the animals are being well-fed, exercised and protected from disease and fire. Mm -hmm. Then we've got the Breeding and Sale of Dogs Welfare Act of 1999. Ooh, newer. A little bit. (laughs) Well, there's three here that are kind of similar, but they're kind of different. So you've got the Breeding of Dogs Act 1991 and the Breeding of Dogs Act 1973 in the United Kingdom. There's two aspects to this act that I find kind of confusing. And let me know what you think when you hear it. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I'm going to put my yeah. in. <laughs> the first part of it is it requires a license from the local council unless dogs are producing less than five litters in a 12-month period. For example, hobby breeders. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Five litters in a 12-month period? Well, less than five litters, but yeah. Uh, le- oh, gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, anybody who's producing more than two litters a year is just obviously not paying attention to the animal. Right. Because that's just unhealthy. That's damaging to the animal. Mm -hmm. That's abuse. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This same act, however, also says that female dogs cannot be mated before they are a year old, must have no more than six litters in a lifetime. And can only have one litter every 12 months. I like that. That one I'm okay with, kind of. I mean, you shouldn't be breeding dogs anyway, but that makes more sense Mm. because that's something that an animal would be like in the wild. Right. So yes, it's going to put a lot less physical and mental stress and emotional stress on the animal if they're limited to no more than six litters in a lifetime. Yeah, because I've seen some dog litters that are six to 12 puppies. That's just insane. Mm -hmm. That's insane for a mother to take care of that many puppies at one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that still needs to be updated because hobby breeders, in my opinion, should not be in existence, period. Then... We have Canada's animal welfare legislation, which I am not (laughs) that happy with. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Miranda may step on her box today. (laughs) Canada needs to look a little bit more at what the UK is doing and do some updating. (laughs) I think we all need to do what UK is doing. Yeah, because Canada does not have a specific animal welfare legislation really it doesn't have an individual act or anything like that it all comes under the criminal code of canada okay so basically it just essentially prohibits anyone from willfully causing animals to suffer from neglect pain or injury the thing is we tend to cause suffering from neglect pain or injury because of being selfish because of not willing to really look at what the animal needs. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily somebody who is, you know, intentionally locking their dog up on a chain outside for 12 hours or not giving them enough food or water or beating them or something like that. Yes, that needs to be addressed, 
but there is so much more neglect, pain, and injury that occur from not paying attention, from not being interested enough or caring enough to really think about the animal's needs. Or educate yourself. I mean, if you refuse to learn, I would argue that that is willfully causing animals to suffer. Mm -hmm. If your ego is too big that you refuse to learn on how you can better this animal's lives, you are willfully causing animals to suffer. Mm -hmm. You know, criminal code is one thing. Yeah, prosecute the people that are obviously doing it but educate the rest of the people so they can stop doing it. And then if you educate and you understand and you are aware of how your citizens are taking care of their animals, you will find out that there's probably more willfully abusive people than not. Mm. So there needs to be an enforcement aspect of that. And I know that the SPCA in Canada is doing what they can, but Mm -hmm. it needs to go to the federal level. Not the provincial level, the federal level. Yes. Right now in Canada, there's just way too many limitations. And Mm -hmm. those who are trying to do their best for the animals have their hands tied. Yeah, they're probably hitting brick walls left and right. Yeah. We need to follow UK, but UK needs to update the rest. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Having said that, you know, we are appreciative of any efforts that are being made for the benefit of the animals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. There's something that is in the process of being put through the legal system, but has not yet been accepted. And at this point, we don't know whether it will be accepted or not, but it is something called the Universal Declaration on Animal Welfare. It was originally created in 2000 and was proposed by the World Society for the Protection of Animals in 2007. Now, 22 years later, it still has not yet been accepted. Oh, we got to get on that. So what is it? Now, this is kind of what I had mentioned earlier. It's an agreement among people and nations. Oh, global. Yes. Love it. To recognize that animals are sentient and can suffer, to respect their welfare needs, all of them. Mm-hmm. to promote standards on the welfare of animals such as farm animals, companion animals, animals in scientific research, draft animals, wildlife, and animals in recreation, and to end animal cruelty for good. Oh, we got to get this working. <laughs> we got to get this working. This would be amazing if we had a global animal welfare declaration. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe the UN has to get involved with this. I don't know. <laughs> but Yeah, I'm 100%. This would be a dream of mine. Yes. Absolutely. And I think a dream of a lot of us animal advocates. Mm -hmm. And they've got a huge document. I mean, I think it was something like 20 pages. So I just basically extracted the main concepts from that document. Mm. Maybe we should put that on our website. Mm. Is there a link that we can get and we can put it on the website and we can help the movement? It's a PDF document. So yeah, if we can get the PDF on there. Yeah. Awesome. So those are all of the acts and agreements and legal things that we're talking about in this show. There have been a variety of many other welfare acts that have been put into place in different parts of the world in different states, different provinces, and different jurisdictions, which are the bylaws. But as it stands right now, there's 
no standard set regulations for the world in dealing with animal welfare. We need to get this universal declaration on animal welfare out and get people to support it. Maybe our voice will help them make a decision. Mm -hmm. Maybe in our lifetime, we'll see something or at least steps towards this. You can hope. I like to hope. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing we want to bring to you is there's a couple of organizations that have ranked the countries in the world in where they are in terms of animal welfare. I don't know if I'm going to want to see this. (laughs) This is probably going to be a lot scarier than what's actually happening because this proves that there is stuff going on under the radar Mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. One of the organizations focuses solely on farmed animals. The other organization focuses on animals more in general. Okay. So the first organization is the Voiceless Animal Cruelty Index, or VACI, which evaluates and ranks 50 countries. So it's not all of the countries in the world, but it ranks 50 countries within the world based on the welfare of farmed animals. And Tanzania was ranked the best country in animal welfare by this organization, one out of 50. Which kind of surprised me because I was thinking, oh, Africa is actually on the top, at the top. For some reason, I had this idea that maybe they would have had a lesser view of animals, but. What I've heard is in Africa, because there are so many endangered and threatened species, that there are so many organizations that are working to protect the species that are there and to, they do an awful lot to prevent poaching. And I even heard that there are some communities, I don't know if it's a full countries or whatever, but just some communities that will revere the animal over the human. Hmm. Wow. I don't know how correct that is, but that is something that I heard in my watching discovery channels and history channels, national geographic channels that there is a very strong push to protect these animals. Hmm. Like the human has less rights than the animals. Interesting. Now, I don't know if that goes to domesticated animals or farm animals, but at least the wild animals. Right. Well, and because this particular ranking was by VACI, which is focused on the farm animals. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that has a bearing in it too. I don't know where exactly they would fall according to this organization if they were looking at all animals in general. Mm -hmm. But I do know like back in 2000, Well, I've had the wonderful opportunity to be able to visit South Africa on a few occasions. And one of the things that I really love about it is their game parks. Now that might sound like, oh, that's an entertainment thing just by that name, but that's not what it is. The game parks is a large area of land, like a really large area of land, like it extends throughout the African provinces where the wild animals are able to live in their natural way, they've got their natural predators or natural food sources and everything like that in there. And humans are not allowed to interact with them. Nice. They do allow people, like they do have roads that go through the park and people are allowed to drive around and view the animals from their vehicle, but they are not supposed to ever get out. Well, that would be a death sentence for a lot of these. And it has happened. And uh, we might go a little over here, but (laughs) 
<laughs> any, <laughs> any interesting story that I have from my experience there was because they have these um, little commune compound places that people can stay in when they want to go visit the game parks. And they have curfews that you can only enter and exit these compounds at certain time periods. And if you don't get back to the compound by the cutoff time, you're locked out and you're spending the night in the game park. Oh, scary. But my one experience was we were driving along this road and there was this other vehicle that was in front of us. And we came across a family of elephants. So there was the bull elephants, there was the matriarch, there was the younger, more baby elephants. And the car in front of us ended up getting kind of in between a baby elephant and a bull elephant. <gasps> oh, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> the bull oh elephant gosh. was not happy and started showing threatening behaviors. It was starting to like paw the ground. Its ears were flapping. It was getting ready to charge. And these elephants can flip a car, no problem. We backed oh, up scary. to give this other car an opportunity to back up. And it was not cluing in as to what was going on. So we could have potentially witnessed an actual attack, but finally they clued in and backed up and then the elephants went on their way. It just goes to show you that as long as you let them be themselves, there's no issues. Mm -hmm. But when you interfere with their natural order of things, they're going to do what they need to do to protect themselves and protect their young ones. Wow, that's scary. Yeah, that's scary. On the other hand, when I was in Africa, in South Africa in 2000, I had the opportunity because I had just graduated from my animal health technologist program and I did my practicum in South Africa. Mm, fun. Yeah, it was interesting. And I had the opportunity to work at a few different clinics. I was at a rural veterinary clinic, a city veterinary clinic, a horse clinic, and an eye clinic. So it was really interesting to see how they operate and they do things differently than they do here. Yeah. At least at that time they did. They couldn't understand some of the things that I was taught. <laughs> <laughs> One of the examples, well, the rural clinic did not treat the animals as well as the city clinic in terms of like the, the their kennels, the state of their kennels mm -hmm. and that. At the city clinic, they wanted to treat this animal. And one of the techniques I was taught was to help calm the animal is to put one arm around their neck, their shoulder and their, their neck and kind of hold them close to me while holding the, their body with my other arm. And that gives kind of a more soothing response from them. This clinic did not know to do this. They were like holding on to this leash and the dog was like all anxious and running around and fearful and everything like that. And they were being kind of aggressive about it. And I just went and I did what I was taught. They didn't want me to do that because they were afraid I was going to get bitten. As soon as I did it, mm. the dog calmed down. It's like a human thunder shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting the way different countries learn. And maybe that experience was also what painted my view a little bit. Mm -hmm. Going back to the rankings, the ranking that was given by the Voices Animal Cruelty Act by the United States and Canada was quite a bit lower than Tanzania. U.S. ranked as the second worst country for animal cruelty. All right, U.S., we got to do better. <laughs> Canada is slightly better at 39 out of 50. Mm. However, there was also a ranking that was given by the World Animal Protection Act. But again, this is not focused on just the farm animals. This is animals in general. 
So with the World Animal Protection Act, they ranked the United States as 31 out of 50 in animal welfare. A little better, not much, but little. (laughs) (laughs) And Canada was ranked at 20 out of 50. And the United Kingdom was rated four out of 50 by the World Animal Protection Act. Wow. However, I forgot to mention that for the Voiceless Animal Cruelty Index, UK was ranked at 24 out of 50. Better than US. <laughs> yeah. So it seems <laughs> like the United Kingdom is not as good for the farm animals, but overall they're better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's get going. We got to help these farm animals. <laughs> Wow, that's some scary statistics. Oh, really is. And I forgot to mention as well that for the World Animal Protection, Austria was ranked as number one. Oh, well, good on you, Austria. Thanks. We here in North America have to do better. Mm. We just have to do better. Mm -hmm. Hopefully here at the Animal Files, we can help you to do better. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Again, as we said, it's all about education and awareness, compassion, understanding, respect empathy. (laughs) Yeah. We got to find a balance. It's all about balance. I can't express that enough. It's about balance. We have to find how all of these things can converge. The animal rights, the animal welfare, the acts, the different organizations that rank everybody. Well, let's start helping the countries that are lower on that ranking do better Mm -hmm. because when we know better, we do better. And these animals can start to thrive in a way they've never been able to thrive before. Mm -hmm. So if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us. We have an email, the animal files podcast at gmail.com. We have Facebook group. We have a Facebook page. The page is the animal files official. The group is the animal files community. We have a Twitter, which is the Animal Files. We have our Patreon. So if you want to support the show, is the Animal Files official on Patreon. We are everywhere. Instagram, we are the Animal Files official on Instagram. Just look for us. Look for the Animal Files podcast on Google. If you are unsure, you can also go to our website to get all of our links as well. Yeah, and that's the animalfilespodcast.com. Mm-hmm. So reach out, help us get these governments to start enforcing these things, to update their acts, update their protections, so we can do what we can for these animals. And if what we're talking about is resonating with you, especially these last couple of episodes, Please share what we do with people and let them know to listen and tune in to get more of this information. Yeah. And next week, we are going to start talking about animal welfare signs. The last episode of the series. And we're going to talk about what that is. So with that, we are done. Come back next week and join us for the Animal Files. Have a wonderful week, everybody, and we will see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.